0: Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This is Monday Night Raw! This is my It's Wrestle Radio. Radio. What's going on guys, welcome back to WrestleRant Radio for February 21st, 2019. I am Graham Jesus and Matthews, hope you guys are doing well. If you can already tell, my voice is completely shot, and usually when you hear me have a voice like this, it means I went to a wrestling show and I lost my voice. Unfortunately, I'm not exactly sure what the origin of this lost voice is. I woke up Tuesday morning, my voice was shot, I had a massive headache, and I never get sick. I very rarely get sick. And, um, yeah, my voice was just, my throat was killing me, so... It's been a, it's been a rough week, but um I have not missed a single episode of Wrestle Rant Radio in the last five years from what I can remember. So, a little hurt voice, a little hurt throat was not going to prevent me from doing Wrestle Rant Radio for you guys here today, even if it meant a lot of you know voice cracking and squeaking and whatnot. I did want to break down the past week in WWE and beyond between Elimination Chamber, of Raw, and Smackdown from this past week. So. More on that to come momentarily, but in the meantime, real quick guys, if you want to check out all new episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday, you can do so by subscribing to the show on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. You'll get every new episode on Thursdays as well as every archived episode dating back to October of 2013, so once again... Simply search up the show, WrestleRant Radio, on the Apple Podcast app, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. wrestling.net also hosts every new episode on Thursday, so that's another avenue to check out the show if you don't have the iTunes machine. As for me, guys, you can check me out on the socials at WrestleRant on Twitter, on Facebook at facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews, and on YouTube as well at youtube.com backslash c backslash Gramgius and Matthew. So, like I said guys, since I'm not feeling all that well here today, I figured I would do a bit of an abridged version of WrestleRant Radio for this week, breaking down all the latest happenings in the world of wrestling and beyond. Starting with real quick, Ty Dillinger requesting his release from WWE as of Wednesday. Uh, he put up a statement on late Tuesday night after SmackDown Live, basically saying that before any rumors start spreading regarding the status with WWE, that he was announcing outright that his contract Um, Not that his contract was up, but rather that he was requesting his release from WWE. Um, This should hardly come as a surprise. I mean, dating back to the formation of AEW of All Elite Wrestling, at the beginning of the year, people figured that he would be a good fit for that promotion, given his history with Cody Rhodes. Um, The two go way back to their developmental days in WWE. Cody has always been super high on uh, Ty Dillinger, so I would not be surprised to see Ty Dillinger be AEW bound. That's indeed where, the, where he's uh, where he's going, but Dillinger has always shown some sort of uh, unhappiness with WWE in his current spot on the car, dating back at least a year or so, but specifically the last couple months, Dillinger has been sitting out on the sidelines with an injury, I know he's been wrestling at house shows recently, but he's not appeared on SmackDown since September when he beat Shinsuke Nakamura by disqualification, so... Um, the fact that he would want to leave is honestly not surprising in the slightest. I'm honestly kind of surprised that it took him this long to want to request his release. You know, obviously it's a tough decision. I'm not sure if he's still with Peyton Royce, but the fact that a significant other, if they are indeed still together, um, to leave a significant other in the company that, you know, he's been with for a long time now is a tough decision to make as they were in NXT together now on SmackDown Live together. But still, you got to do what's best for you and your career. And I think Ty Dillinger, while not an amazing talent, is very, very good. And um, there's something to be, you know, something to be said for this success story that he had coming up from NXT to SmackDown Live, because there was a long time where Ty Dillinger looked like one of those guys that would never be called up to the big time, that would never be called up to the grand stage. But then he caught fire with his old ten gimmick in you know 2015, 2016 leading to him getting over with the audience by early 2017 in that feud with Eric Young, leading to him to um, participating in the 2017 Royal Rumble match, then leading to him getting called up to SmackDown Live two nights removed from WrestleMania 33. So, Ty Dillinger, a real uh, Cinderella story of sorts, being called up to the main roster a few years ago. Unfortunately, it was all downhill from there. They never really found the right role for him on the show, and he's been a a glorified enhancement talent ever since. So um, it's a real shame, but the guy's a very good hand in the ring. I'm sure he's going to be a very valuable asset wherever he ends up, whether it is AEW or Ring of Honor or even Impact. Ty Dellinger is a very good talent, and I'm hoping to see him utilized the right way wherever he goes next. But from there, let's discuss last Sunday's Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, live from... Or even were they on Sunday? I have no idea. Um, I completely forgot. I think it was Houston. I'm pretty sure they were in Houston for the pay-per-view on Sunday. Um, But overall, a good show. I mean, if I had to give it a thumbs-up or thumbs-down, I would say a thumbs-up solely based off the Elimination Chamber matches alone. But uh, the crowd was fine. The matches were good overall. And I can't say I have many complaints about the show, despite a few matches not delivering, such as Braun Strowman and Barrett Corbin. The fucking feud that'll never end. Jesus Christ. I mean... Corbin, Strowman, can you name a feud in the last couple of months that you were so sick of seeing to the point where, like, you would rather watch Temptation Island than fucking Braun Strowman and Baron Corbin for the upteenth time? And the worst part is, is that it's all 50-50 booking. It's all 50-50 booking with these guys. You know, Corbin won on Sunday. Strowman wins the next night on Raw. Nothing is being accomplished with these guys whatsoever. That's the most frustrating part. Um, that it's just the same thing week after week, and they don't have great chemistry together either, so that doesn't exactly help matters. So, yeah, that match sucked. Um, After interference from Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley, I thought it was the trio that we would never have to see again after late last year, but apparently not. They're back in full form in targeting Braun Strowman. I don't know where that's headed. I honestly don't really care to find out. Um, Possibly McIntyre and Strowman in WrestleMania one-on-one, which isn't a terrible idea. It's a good use of McIntyre at WrestleMania. I'd rather have him in a match like that than a you know, than be lost in the shuffle in a multi man match at WrestleMania. But it's not a terrible idea. Um but yeah, I didn't exactly love that match from Elimination Chamber. Finn Balor did beat Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush in a two one one handicap match in the process of becoming the new Intercontinental Champion, which I was a bit surprised by because Alexis and I did predictions for Elimination Chamber last week here on the show, and I said, without a doubt, Bobby Lashley is not losing that championship, at least not so soon. He just won the belt a month ago, so why would he drop the belt a month later? Well, we found out the answer to that on Sunday when he lost the championship to Finn Balor. We don't know why as of now, but I mean, not, not to slander Finn Balor. I think him as Intercontinental Champion is cool. It's a nice idea. He could do a lot to restore prestige and honor to that championship, but... To take the title off of Bobby Lashley so soon, to me, felt like a mistake, especially after Dean Ambrose already had a month-long reign as well. So hopefully Finn Balor will be in possession of that championship um, for for quite a while to come. But I thought it was a good match. Um, I was surprised by the outcome, but pleasantly surprised. And the match itself was enjoyable, as was the SmackDown Tag Team title match pitting the Usos against the then-champions, uh, Shane McMahon and The Miz, another good outing from McMahon and Miz as partners. The Usos having yet another you know, show-stealing performance. I think they always kill it, regardless of who they're up against, but this was a very fun match. In the end, The Usos picking up the victory and in the process becoming six-time tag team champions with the cracks starting the show between The Usos, or rather The Miz, and Shane McMahon. It's already been announced that Miz and Shane are getting their SmackDown tag team title rematch at the Fastlane pay-per-view next month which will emanate from Miz's hometown of Cleveland. And I, I still assume that all roads ahead to Miz and Shane are still a go for WrestleMania 35 and the WrestleMania 35 match, which has been in the works now for months. Um, but if so, and if Miz is still the one being primed to turn heel on Shane and not the other way around, then kudos to Miz for coming across as genuine as he has been because he has been a full-fledged babyface in this feud so far. Um, with Shane and the Usos. He came across as incredibly genuine and apologetic on Tuesday SmackDown and apologizing to Shane for costing his team the tag titles on Sunday. So, kudos to Miz for showing betting, better acting chops than he ever has in any other Marine movie up to this point. But, um, yeah, no, I thought that was a good match and a surprising outcome, if only because only a week ago here on the show we talked about on WrestleRant Radio, Alexis and I, that Jimmy Uso was arrested um, just mere days ahead of the pay-per-view, and I feel, I, I felt like that would alter his chances of becoming a champion, or, you know, I, it was rumored that, oh, him and Naomi got in the accident on purpose so they can go to AEW, which is such fucking bullshit, that's so stupid. I mean, I have no doubt that maybe the Usos would be interested in going to AEW, for, but for him and Naomi to, for Jimmy Uso and Naomi to intentionally get themselves into an accident and get themselves arrested... Just so they can be fired and go to AEW is absolutely comical. So I don't suspect that's the case. I don't suspect that's the case for a second. But um, the Usos might be you know, on their way out of WWE come April once their contracts expire. If you know they continue to coast, uh, so to speak. But they are the new SmackDown Tag Team Champions for the upteenth time. It's not a bad thing, but I would hope that going forward once this rivalry with Miz and Sheen runs its course, that they can, um, you know, find new challengers to work with because they've already had a million matches with the bar, a million matches with the fucking New Day. I'm ready for some new teams to pop up so we can have some fresh matchups over those tag team titles. You know, fingers crossed. Um, but nonetheless, this was a uh, good match with, like I said, a surprising outcome, making it a newsworthy show on the whole. Also on Sunday, we had a Cruiserweight Championship match on the kickoff show, pitting Buddy Murphy against Akira Tozawa, Very good match, to be quite honest with you. I thought this was a very good match. They worked well together. And it was one of the better Cruiserweight matches I've seen on WWE pay-per-view in some time. Of course, it was bumped to the kickoff. That came as no surprise to anybody. But they worked well together. And Buddy Murphy went over, as he should have. It was announced on Tuesday's 205 Live that um, in the lead-up to WrestleMania, we're getting another tournament, a lot like we did last year. This time, this tournament is, is being held to determine... Who will face Buddy Murphy for the Cruiserweight Championship at WrestleMania 35? Um, the only two matches announced so far. It is an eight-man tournament. The only quarterfinal matches announced so far that are set to take place next Tuesday and 205 Live are Kalisto versus Tony Nese nice and uh, the Brian Kendrick versus Drew Gulak. So those four people, I don't think any one of them has that good of a chance of coming out on top and becoming the new number one contender to the title. Um, I would hope that we get some sort of fresh face in the remainder of the brackets, whether it be a Kushida or an ACH or a Trevor Lee or someone else from NXT or the Performance Center, another recent signee. <clears throat> Just because any anyone on the current roster of 205 Live been there done that, even Humberto Carrillo. I lost to Buddy Murphy a few weeks ago, so um, I don't see any real worth in him getting the title shot and losing, or whether it be winning or losing at WrestleMania, because it's a match we've seen before. And that match only happened a few months ago, not even like a month and a half ago. So hopefully they can get someone fresh, someone new to go for the title at WrestleMania. And it's not someone that we've seen challenge for the championship before in recent months and uh, lose to Buddy Murphy. So we'll see. We'll see. But um, the two top matches at Elimination Chamber were, of course, the Elimination Chamber matches themselves for the WWE Women's Tag Team titles with Sasha Banks and Bailey emerging victorious over the duos of Sonya Deville, and Mandy Rose, Nia Jackson, Tamina, the Riot Squad, the Iconics, and Naomi and Carmella. Um, a very good match. I thought this match kicked up the show on a high note. All six teams worked well together. And I figured there was a chance of it being a total mess just because there were so many women involved and we had a tag team elimination chamber match a few years ago back in like 2015 or so. And it was a fucking, it was garbage. It was just a fucking atrocity. Um, this was way better executed. I thought, again, all six teams, Played their roles well. The end outcome was exactly what it should have been, with Sasha Banks and Bailey emerging victorious as the inaugural WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. And better yet, I was happy that it was Sonya and Mandy that lasted as long as they did, being in there till the very end with Sasha Banks and Bailey, as opposed to Nia Jackson and Tamina, which seemed to be the most, you know, logical route to take with Nia and Tamina lasting until the end with Banks and Bailey before Banks and Bailey would go over. I was glad that wasn't the case. I was glad it was Deville and Rose instead in that spot because they seemed to gain a lot from being in that spot and seemed to gain a lot from, um, you know, being the, you know, final team in that match alongside Banks and Bailey. Even though Banks and Bailey were the ones who came out on top as the tag team champions, so hopefully we can see more of Deville and Rose in the women's tag team title picture. I'll talk more about Rose possibly entering the SmackDown Women's Championship picture come Fastlane. Um, but still, this was a very solid Elimination Chamber match, and a lot better than I thought it had any right to be, just considering how many women were involved, and that's not a knock on the women, but we've had tag team team, uh, Elimination Chamber matches before, and they were fucking garbage, so I was glad that this was, um, very good, had good moments, the crowd was into it, and had the outcome that it should have. And then we had the main event for the WWE Championship, Daniel Bryan defending, against Kofi Kingston, Randy Orton, AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, and Samoa Joe. Um, a very good Elimination Chamber overall. One of the most stacked and star-studded Elimination Chamber matches you'll see on paper, ever, I would say. Um, and it had a good layout for the most part. I was a bit disappointed that Samoa Joe and Jeff Hardy were eliminated fairly early on. I wasn't exactly thrilled by that. But once the match progressed and they had Orton and AJ further their feud from the SmackDown from a few days earlier, which was cool, the RKO seemingly out of nowhere on AJ Styles, which I thought was well done, um, you had that happen, and then you had Kofi Kingston eliminate AJ, or not AJ Styles, but rather Randy Orton, I thought that was well done too, kind of gaining a sense of revenge, um, a measure of revenge after Orton had reportedly buried Kingston about a decade ago, so better late than never. Uh, And then it came down to Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston in the final few minutes, and they fucking killed it. I thought they had an amazing final stretch here with Kingston looking really, really good in defeat. Um, That was a real pleasant surprise as well. So, I I mean, I figured there was a chance Kingston could win, which is what I think made this so magical, was that, you know, anything can happen in WWE. There's always a chance Kingston could, you know, clinch that championship and get that elusive victory over Daniel Bryan. It wasn't meant to be here but it was a great moment, nonetheless, the crowd was very much into Kingston. Um, I still don't think Kingston will win the championship come fast lane, but I think it's the best match to do because Kingston has a lot of momentum right now. So he's a great fit to go for that title come the next pay-per-view. But uh, yeah, great Elimination Chamber match overall. Daniel Bryan's still your WWE Champion, but for how much longer is the question? Because as I said, it was announced on SmackDown Live on the subsequent Tuesday. That it's going to be Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston once again, one-on-one for the WWE Championship. So, that match is bound to be a barn burner. Um, Kingston should hopefully have the crowd in his corner come the pay-per-view. And, well, they'll very much want to see him become champion on that show. And the build-up is everything. The pay-per-view is not for another two or three weeks. But hopefully he can ditch the silliness of the New Day, that silly aspect of the group um, and, you know, become drop that in favor of a more serious character. Because if not, he really won't stand a chance of becoming champion come fast lane. But Brian and Kingston is the right match to do at that pay-per-view considering the momentum Kingston has at the moment. The guy is very much over with the audience, a crowd that desperately wants to see him become WWE champion. So I'm looking forward to their match, and, he, you know, I mean, Kingston, I don't think he is winning the championship at the pay-per-view, but there is always that possibility. There is always that chance. I wouldn't put my money on Kingston becoming champion, but um there is always that possibility it could happen. So I have my money going on, you know, on Daniel Bryan going over in that outing and walking into WrestleMania as WWE champion, which I feel is the best, you know, path to take. If only because Daniel Bryan's been at the top of his game as WWE's lead heel for quite a while now. But uh that was a great match as well, closing out what I thought overall was a very You know, a pretty good Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. The top two matches were, of course, the Elimination Chamber matches. The undercard was exactly what you would expect it to be. So I have no real complaints about the pay-per-view. I mean, obviously, some matches delivered more than others. The Ronda Rousey-Ruby Riot match was a complete fucking waste. It went all of a minute or two. And Corbin and Strowman also sucked. But at least the matches that were supposed to deliver, delivered... Um, it was a newsworthy evening with inaugural, you know, the inaugural WWE Women's Tag Team Champions being crowned. We had a new Intercontinental Champion crowned in Finn Balor, new SmackDown Tag Team Champions crowned in the Usos. So, overall, a very newsworthy night, and um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So, a good, you know, a good pay per view overall. And we'll see how fast they can top it. I still maintain that the, you know, the midway pay per views between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania are completely pointless and completely useless. But for what this was, it was an entertaining event, so we'll see how they can uh, potentially top it come fast lane as the road to WrestleMania rolls on and the card for WrestleMania, you know, gradually is added to and more matches are announced for the event. And then we get to Raw and Monday night. Holy shit. This crowd in Lafayette was absolutely atrocious. I mean, overall, when you take away the NXT stars, it really wasn't that good of a show anyway. But my God, this audience was awful. And even for the NXT guys, they just sat on their hands. They just reacted. They weren't having any bit of it. They reacted so poorly. It was so sad to say. Aleister Black, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, all those guys deserve so much better. It was so fucking sad to say. But, um, I mean, even when you take away these NXT stars, like I said, it really wasn't that good of a show. It did its part in, you know, offering follow-up from Elimination Chamber, but that was about it. I thought SmackDown did a way better job of not only following up the events from Elimination Chamber, but also setting the stage for the Fastlane pay-per-view next month, um, which is coming up in less than three weeks, in case you didn't know. Fastlane is right around the corner, then we have WrestleMania four four weeks after that. So it's crunch time now for WWE. They really have to start putting together a compelling card for both pay-per-views, in order for people to really kind of get invested in the road to WrestleMania. Because the road to WrestleMania so far, at least in my opinion, has been incredibly lukewarm. So hopefully they can heat things up between now and then. But uh, oh my god, Raw sucked. And even with the NXT superstars. And I guess I'll lead off with this. What a random maneuver. What a, what a random thing for them to do. What a random What a random decision for them to make. By calling up all four of these guys at the same exact time. Now... We don't know as of right now whether these call-ups are permanent. They had said debuts. I mean, they, they made it sound like they're on, you know, they're on Raw and SmackDown for good. I would certainly hope not. Because not only does it got NXT, but there's no real rhyme or reason why they're on these shows. Like, I miss the days of NXT call-ups coming up when WWE had something for them. You know, like Kevin Owens got called up a couple years ago. He was immediately placed in a program with John Cena. Beat him on night one. What happened to that shit? Now they're just calling up people at random for no real rhyme or reason. And yeah, they all look good on Monday and Tuesday. They had successful showings on both shows. But there's clearly no plan in place for any of these people beyond a few weeks. The same can be said for the last batch of call-ups that we just got done ranting about last week here on the show. With EC3, Heavy Machinery, Lacey Evans, Nikki Cross, and the anxiety attacker, Lars Sullivan, who we haven't seen in months... What happened to those fucking batch of people? They haven't done anything since they showed up on the main roster. EC3 is a mute. He lost to Dean Ambrose last week before not even being on Raw this week. Nikki Cross I haven't seen in a while. Lacey Evans is doing this new thing where she comes out, strolls on down the stage, and that's about it. And then Heavy Machinery are pretty much a joke tag team. So, um, and then Lara Sullivan I don't know what his deal is right now, but you know that batch of call ups was a complete waste. Clearly they only call people up to make people think that they were going to be changing, to make people think that um it was a changing of the guard and that they were going to be in, you know, doing all these fresh things with all these new superstars well. It was just all talk and no action because none of those people have amounted to anything in the short time they've been on the main roster and it's not really a wait and see approach because it's pretty obvious WWE doesn't have any plans in place for any of these people and that would re- I mean it's one thing if it's like a fucking, you know, heavy machinery, a tag team that really didn't have much potential anyway, it's a whole other ordeal when it's someone like a Ricochet, someone like an Aleister Black who screams superstar, or a Johnny Gargano or a Tommaso Ciampa, those are the four best in NXT right now, aside from Velveteen Dream and Adam Colbebe, and even Matt Riddle, you can throw him in there too, so for these people to just show up on the main roster for no reason is so fucking lazy. And I understand there was, again, there was no real one obvious answer as to why they were on Raw this week, but I would assume it was a ratings attempt. An attempt to boost the ratings, get people talking about the show. Yeah, it was cool seeing Ricochet team up with Finn Balor, but again, if this stuff doesn't last for more than a few weeks, um, you know, if it's only gonna, they're only gonna show up and win matches here and there with no real, you know, rivalries or storylines or anything along those lines then people will quickly not care. Look no further than the last batch of NXT call-ups I just got finished talking about. I do not want to see the likes of Ricochet, Gargano, Ciampa, and Black suffer the same fate. They are way better than that and deserve to be called up for a big reason, for a big feud, for a title opportunity, something along those lines. Not this mid-card level bullshit. So, um, again, it was cool to see them all on Raw this week, to see them mix it up with the likes of... You know, Finn Balor and Bobby Lashley and The Revival and Elias and this guy and that guy. But beyond a few weeks, I would hope that they either have a plan for these guys or it was just their attempt of giving the NXT brand some extra exposure. Now, NXT was last night as of this recording. I've yet to watch it. There was a special announcement at the beginning of the show. Um, I assume it has to do with TakeOver. But people are speculating whether NXT could be FS1 bound by the end of the year. Because SmackDown is going to Fox by, I think, October of 2019. Maybe around that point, NXT will end up on cable television too or network television, whatever the hell it would be. Um, That would be a huge get for NXT if it moves off the network and onto a bigger network somewhere else on TV, um, you know, somewhere. So that would be a great get for them. And maybe this is their way of introducing these NXT stars to a bigger audience so when they do show up on the main roster on these new networks come later on in 2019 that people know who they are and they have some sort of you know familiarity with them so that's my that's just one uh, that's just one opinion that's giving WWE the benefit of the doubt which we shouldn't in this case which you know obviously we shouldn't considering all the times they've let us down they've disappointed us they've made us think that oh we're finally going to do something with this person and they don't so again I, I don't think that's the case that's just one theory I mean, again, Ricochet and Finn Balor had a very good match with uh, Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush on Monday's Raw. Alistair Black beating Elias was cool. And then, um, what was the other match? Gargano and Ciampa beating The Revival was also great. Kind of rekindling of that rivalry from a few years ago. It was cool to see those two teams mix it up for the first time in a long time. But that was really about it. The rest of this Raw was, uh, I, don't even, I don't even know dare I say, downright deplorable. They had a tables match and a rematch from the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view between Braun Strowman and Baron Corbin, which was mediocre at best. Granted, it was a an improvement over the no disqualification match from Elimination Chamber, but the whole 50-50, bu- 50-50 book and bullshit does nothing to help anybody. Because Corbin wins, and then Strowman wins, and then no one cares. Nobody gives a shit. So I don't know what they're trying to go for with this. I don't know what they're trying to set up. Like I said earlier, maybe they're setting up Strowman and McIntyre for WrestleMania. Beyond that, I really don't care to find out where this whole feud is heading, you know, ending up because I just I can't buy into it. And we talked about last week how Braun Strowman is a fucking loser. And the guy lost again at Elimination Chamber. Granted, he won the rematch on Raw, but it hardly matters for anything when you're coming off a loss to Baron Corbin. He's like the new Bray Wyatt. All he does is talk. A lot like Samoa Joe in his defense. You know, I love Samoa Joe, but he, the same can be said for him as well. He's another guy that just talks and talks and talks and is built up to be this destroyer, but all he does is lose. The guy loses constantly. Braun Strowman, the same can be said for him. So that that wasn't really uh, what I would call a big highlight from Raw this week. Paul Heeman interrupted... Um, no, he didn't interrupt anybody, but he came out to profile Brock Lesnar, talk about his background, shit that we've heard a million times before. This did nothing, by the way, to get me any more excited for Brock and Rollins at WrestleMania than I was before. It was a fine segment, but I feel like we hear the same stuff from Heyman every single fucking week. They're just devoid of ideas here at this point. So that happened. Kurt um, Hawkins and Zack Ryder teamed up to take on the Lucha House Party which was um, exactly what you would expect it to be, a perfectly fine match for what it was while it lasted. Hawkins and Ryder are looking for their first victory as a tag team to break the um, losing streak, the lengthy losing streak of Kurt Hawkins, who has not won a match since November 8th, 2016. And for those keeping track at home, that is the same day that President Donald Trump was elected into office. Not inaugurated, but rather just elected to be the next president of the United States. So my whole thing is that maybe they can do a storyline where they blame Trump for Hawkins's, uh losing streak. I think that'd be entertaining. And that, that means, unless Trump is, you know, booted from office in the next couple of months for whatever reason, that means we will not see him um, win a match for the next two years. But it's already been two years, so what will another two years hurt? So that's just one idea. But I know this company's not, um, you know, doesn't have a rich... You know, history of coming up with great ideas when it comes to uh, stuff like this with their losers, at least in recent years, anyway. So whatever. Um, Drew McIntyre took on Dean Ambrose, which was a complete waste of a match. Uh, I don't even know why they did it. To be honest with you, I know Dean Ambrose just just beat EC3 last week, and now he's losing to Drew McIntyre, so that was a waste. Um, Sasha Banks and Bailey came out to address the rest of the roster in terms of. Um, where they'll be defending their championships and what's going on with them is the WWE women's tag team champions talking about their victory from Hell in the Cell. During the course of the promo, they announced that they are planning to not only defend the belts on Raw, but also SmackDown Live and NXT. Which got me thinking. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people bring this up in recent days, but maybe the um Pirates, I don't know what their the, the Sky Pirates, I don't know what their tag team name is, but I would be fucking here for a Kyrie Sane and Io Shirai tag team against Sasha Banks and Bailey for those tag team titles. That would be awesome. And I feel like there's no better place to do that match than a TakeOver Brooklyn 5. TakeOver New York over WrestleMania 35 weekend. The exact same arena where Banks and Bailey had their classic uh, back in 2015 at TakeOver. So, if they're looking for a big women's match at that TakeOver, I think we have one right there with Banks and Bailey versus the, the Sky Pirates or whatever their tag team name would be with Io Shirai and Kyrie Sane. I've seen some people say that maybe it could be um what's the other tag team than NXT with the women, Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox, um, Captain Kick or whatever their tag team name is. I know Tegan Knox, I don't know, is clear to compete yet. She's been out in, she's been out injured since the summer, but um them two versus Banks and Bailey for the tag titles would be a lot of fun. So I don't know where or who their next set of challengers will be. It certainly looks like like based off of this segment that it's going to be Nia Jax and Tamina stepping up to the plate to challenge for the championship at Fastlane, but I would certainly hope not because that does not feel like a pay-per-view worthy match whatsoever. Nia Jax and Tamina are terrible. I mean, I was glad they were eliminated early on from the Elimination Chamber match on Sunday, but beyond that, they do nothing for me, so we'll see. I mean, it's a fun filler match for Banks and Bailey before WrestleMania. But um, the match, I doubt would be any good, and just, I feel like we've seen it before, and I think we have seen it before on Raw, but even beyond that, I feel like there's, I don't know, I like the idea, this is the issue, like they have enough women to do a tag team title, which I've said months ago, I said, I've been saying this for a long time now, for many, many months, but it's just the execution, because a lot of these women don't mean anything. So Nia Jackson, to me, they, they are kind of dominant. They are kind of like destroyers. But beyond that, there's no reason to take these two women seriously. After all the losing they've done for months now, and they're terrible anyway. I'd rather see Banks and Bailey, uh, Banks and Bailey versus Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. If their interaction in the Elimination Chamber was any indication. So we'll see where they go with it. But I still stand my idea by my idea of doing, uh, like I said last week, Banks and Bailey versus Trish Stratus and Lita. For the WWE Women's Tag Team Titles of WrestleMania. And then, like I said earlier, the Raw Women's Championship match on this show, uh, which is what headlined the episode, Ronda Rousey and Ruby Riot in a rematch from the pay-per-view. A total waste of a match. It was a good match, and I was glad that Ruby Riot was allowed to shine. But the problem is that we saw the exact same match the night before, and Ruby Riot lasted all of a minute and a half. So why people actually thought that she would have a chance of beating Ronda for the belt on this show is beyond me. They worked well together, and both women had good performances. They had good showings here, but it just I thought it was ass-backwards booking. And I think I had read a rumor, I have read a report from Dave Meltzer saying that, oh, they rewrote the show 30 minutes before showtime, which I don't think is anything really out of the ordinary for this company. But it would seem to make sense. I think the original plan was to do Alexa Bliss versus Ronda Rousey one-on-one for the Raw Women's Championship. And yeah, that's a match we've seen before, but not for a long time. And I think they wanted to have Ronda Rousey squash Alexa, but because the main event had to go longer than just a few minutes, they wanted to put someone in there with Ronda that they knew could have a good match with her. They being, you know, that being R- Ruby Riot. So I thought that was smart. And then, like I said, they worked well together. They had a good match. It was enjoyable. But the outcome was never really in doubt. So Ross sucked. Um, before we ride off into the sunset here, and I take some, you know, I get some rest for uh, my voice just being absolutely atrocious. Uh, let's talk about SmackDown from Tuesday. I already talked about Shane and Miz securing the rematch for the SmackDown Tag Team titles at Fastlane. That was a good segment to kick off the show. We also found out from Shane himself that the NXT superstars that were in action on Monday's Raw would also be in action on Tuesday's SmackDown. Kicking off with Alistair Black and Andrade in a rematch from last year's TakeOver um, New Orleans show and also a rematch from TakeOver uh, Orlando, another sh- an event, another event that I was in attendance for. Alistair Black made his debut So for those keeping track at home Alistair Black has now beat Andrade In his NXT debut At TakeOver Orlando In he beat him At TakeOver New Orleans for the NXT Championship And then he beat him again in his SmackDown Debut in 2019 So Alistair Black remains 3-0 Over Andrade But this was a uh, very good match for as long As it lasted Not by no means a classic On the level of their New Orleans Match from last year but uh, it was still really, really good, and I enjoyed it a lot. And Black was allowed to shine, hit his signature spots, get over, and the crowd reacted a lot more favorably to Black here than they did in, on Monday's Raw in Lafayette. So that was encouraging to see as well. Um, also on the show, we had Chomp and Gargano in action taken on the bar in an absolutely awesome matchup. They got plenty of time. Uh, they worked very well together. And DIY, to see them back in action together, you know, side by side for the first time in several years, is a real treat. Um, so yeah that was a real barn burner of a bout and I don't know if they're going to be called up as a tag team if they get called up at all but I am totally fine with DIY reuniting in the interim before Gargano goes back to being a babyface uh, but I thought that was an even better match than what we saw on Raw between them and the Revival so kudos to uh, Gargano and Ciampa for picking up two back-to-back victories and the same can be said for Black as well he went you know 2-0 on WWE TV this week as well as Ricochet who beat Eric Young on Tuesday's Smackdown Yes, the Sanity is still involved, still you know under contract, still employed by WWE. They are still with the SmackDown Live roster, with Ricochet beating Eric Young one on one here, and it was a fine match. But it just goes to show that Sanity is just absolutely wasted on the main roster. We rarely see them to the point where Alexis, when we were watching the show together, even questioned who fu- who the fuck Eric Young was because we haven't seen him on SmackDown in quite a few months in quite a while so. Um, that, that was quite the um, quite the refresher as to the fact that he's still on the roster. So uh, that was interesting. But uh, yeah, Eric Young still with WWE for those that had doubted his uh, current contractual status with the company. But Ricochet went over. That was what it was uh, first and foremost here. The, for the one and only, he went over in decisive fashion. So he had a good showing there. Mandy Rose knocked off Asuka in one-on-one non-title action. This also marked the first time we had seen Asuka on WWE TV. Since the Royal Rumble, so we've not seen Asuka in over three weeks. She shows up and immediately loses to Mandy Rose, which feels wrong on so many levels. But at the same time, um, you know the match wasn't that bad, and I think it helped establish Rose as a real threat to that championship because they need more, you know, threats. They need more players in that division. Now I don't want to see Mandy Rose versus Asuka WrestleMania. But they need to make stars out of these people. Mandy Rose has been doing well for a few months now in her feud with Naomi, and they've been working well together. But, um, you know, Rose needs a little bit more of a boost than just that. So I thought having her beat Asuka was, you know, it it succeeded in doing just that and, and making her out to be a real threat to that title. Asuka losing to Mandy Rose, I mean, again, Mandy Rose benefited quite a bit from it. From Asuka's standpoint, it feels like it's always one step forward, two steps back with her. Because... You know, she lost to Mandy Rose on Tuesday, but lest we forget, she beat Becky Lynch clean. She tapped her out in the middle of the ring back at the Royal Rumble. Becky Lynch, that being WWE's hottest star in all of WWE right now, in the entire company, Asuka beat her at the start of that pay-per-view. But that was quickly forgotten about. We haven't seen Asuka since until Tuesday, and then she loses to Mandy Rose. So again, it's so inconsistent with these people, it's ridiculous. Then the main event, a six-man tag team match featuring all the combatants from Sunday's Elimination Chamber match with Kofi Kingston, AJ Styles, and Jeff Hardy beating the trio of Daniel Bryan, Randy Orton, and Samoa Joe. Kingston did pin Bryan for the victory, thus setting setting himself up for another opportunity at the WWE Championship at the Fastlane pay-per-view next month. Now, as I've said before, I do not think Kingston is walking out of that show WWE Champion. If there was any time to do the title change... It would have been Elimination Chamber. Then you could have have done that and then given the belt right back to Daniel Bryan at Fastlane. So I don't think they're going to put the belt on Kofi, but there's no better match to do with that pay-per-view. I think these pay-per-views are completely pointless. But that being said, um, I think Kingston and Bryan is the right match to do right now because people want to see it. Kingston's over. They're very much behind the idea of him going for the WWE Championship. People, they just really, really want to see it. So I'm looking forward to their uh, their next one-on-one encounter at the Fastlane pay-per-view, regardless of the outcome, even though I do assume that Brian is going over to retain his title. Um, I don't know what else you do with these guys, these other people in this match. Joe, Orton, Hardy, um, Styles, you know, they are all doing their own thing right now. Um, I, I could see Styles and Orton facing off of Fastlane before having a rematch at WrestleMania. I would not be opposed to that, but then what do you do with Joe and Jeff Hardy? They had their feud already. Um, just a few months ago, so I don't know. I don't know what else to do with those guys, but overall, it was a very good episode of SmackDown, I thought. Again, following up effectively on the events of Elimination Chamber before setting the stage for the SmackDown side of the Fastlane card in three weeks. So a good episode of SmackDown to make up for a less-than-stellar show on Monday from Raw, but um, overall, a fairly newsworthy week for WWE, in addition to the fact that D-Generation X is being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame over WrestleMania 35 weekend, so that's very exciting. But not only just Triple H and Shawn Michaels, who is now a two-time WWE Hall of Famer, it's going to be Shawn Michaels, Triple H, the New Age Outlaws, Billy Gunn and Road Dogg, X-Pac, and China. So I think this is a great move. Triple H was going to go on anyway. Um, you know, the New Age Outlaws they should have gone in a while. I'm actually, I'm honestly pretty surprised they're not in by now. X-Pac was never going to go in. I thought I. Never really thought that he would go in by himself. Um, China could always go in by herself, but I don't know if they wanted to do that, especially since, I I don't know, there's been some heat on China before for stuff that she said and stuff that she's done, with Triple H even saying, like, she won't go into the Hall of Fame because of that. He quickly backtracked in the interview with ESPN on Monday uh, when he was asked about what he had said about China about, you know, four years ago, and now saying, oh, you know, she's going to the Hall of Fame. Anyway... Um, This was a very newsworthy week in WWE and I'm looking forward to seeing DX in the Hall of Fame over WrestleMania 35 weekend. I don't know who would be inducting them. I don't know who else is going to be joining them in the Hall of Fame. It's very strange that they waited so long to announce their first inductees into the Hall of Fame. It's very rare that they do that, but um, hopefully we find out who else is joining the Hall in the weeks ahead and the fact that they're inducting like six people at once with this faction probably is the reason why part of the reason why I don't think they're going to have a that big of a class this year with the Hall of Fame if they're already inducting six people in one induction and one, you know, with with one induction. So we'll see how it goes. But like I said, a newsworthy week in WWE. We'll see how it shakes out and everything, you know, transpires over the next few weeks of WWE TV, leading into Fastlane and then WrestleMania. So stay tuned here on WrestleRant Radio for more on that. As for me, guys, thank you for bearing with me through today's episode. My My voice is absolute shit. I'm hoping to have it back to 100% by next week, if not in the next few days. So, um, again, thank you for checking out today's show. If you want to check out all new episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio, you can subscribe on iTunes. Simply search up Wrestle Rant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, you also get every archived episode dating back to October of 2013. As for me, folks, you can find me on the socials. At Russell Rand on Twitter, on Facebook at Facebook.com, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, and also on YouTube at YouTube.com, backslash C, backslash Graham GSM Matthews. So until next week, guys, have a great rest of your weekend, Friday, Thursday, weekend, whatever it might be. I'm Graham GSM Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Do